Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Daniel chapter 5 this morning, church, wherever you're gathering with us from, we're glad you've gathered for our study of the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 5. We're going to pick it up where we left off just a couple of weeks ago. A remarkable prophecy, isn't it, that Isaiah made decades and decades ahead of time. And we know the date it has been recorded in all of history, not just biblically, but in secular history. October the 12th, 539 B.C., it was the night Babylon would fall to the Medo-Persian Empire. It's recorded for us in Daniel chapter 5. Aren't you glad that we have a God of grace and mercy and love and kindness? Well, I am too. Amen by ourselves. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that God loved us enough to send the son of God to die for our sin and rose again? Yes? That's the good news. That's why we call it the gospel. The gospel is good news. But you understand the implication that there's good news implies there's also bad news. And we live at a time where everybody's about the good news but you can't really understand the good news if you don't understand the bad news. You see, it says in John 1:17 that Jesus was full of grace and truth. We live at a time where we want the grace of God, but we don't want the truth of God. See, we want the love of God, but we don't want the God that is holy and just and full of judgment. And I gotta warn you, Daniel 5 is a sobering chapter because we're gonna see a hand come down from heaven My friends, it is not the hand of grace, but rather the hand of judgment. It says these words in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 1, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. Now let me stop right here. For many, many years, unbelieving scholars and theologians who like to say that Daniel is a fraud, it's a forgery, you can't trust it. Uh, they would point to this chapter right here because of this mention of this king, Belshazzar. And they would say, well, everybody knows there's no Belshazzar in history. Everybody knows that a man named Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon. Who's ever heard of Belshazzar? I mean, obviously, whoever wrote Daniel doesn't know their history. That is until an archaeologist was digging in the ruins of this ancient city of Babylon. Near the center of the city was one of the temples, and they found an inscription on that temple of Nabonidus and his co-regent, his son, a man by the name of Belshazzar. I only tell you that because eventually the modern science of archaeology always catches up to the Bible. Don't bet against the Bible. We know Belshazzar was the co-regent. It's 23 years since Nebuchadnezzar has died. 23 years Babylon has been in decline. Nebuchadnezzar, the first king of Babylon that really built it to its majesty, it was the monarch of the ancient world, the world superpower, and he reigned for over 40 years. But after his death, this kingdom began to decline. 
And 23 years later, his son-in-law, Nabonidus, is kind of in retirement. He doesn't really like the day-to-day operations of the kingdom. We know he hung out in an oasis a lot in northern Arabia, and he left his son on the throne to kind of run the day-to-day operations. The son was the name Belshazzar. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousands. And while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron, wood and stone. Understand what is happening here in Daniel chapter five. Death was literally knocking at the door, but Belshazzar was partying while he should have been praying. Belshazzar knows that the medio persian army has surrounded the city. All right, this hasn't come as a surprise to him. Now, he doesn't know, according to Herodotus, the ancient Greek uh, historian, that they had been for weeks diverting the water away from the Euphrates. They'd been digging canals just out of sight of the watchtowers of Babylon. But he knew full well that this enemy army had surrounded the city. But understand, literally, while death was knocking at the door, he decides to throw a party instead of praying. He was choosing to revel instead of repent. And that's what's going on on this fateful night of October the 12th, 539 B.C. You see, he understands there's an army outside, but inside the walls of this ancient city, he feels completely untouchable, completely invincible. He has these walls 300 feet high, these uh, walls that are 87 feet thick, they've got 20 years of food stored, and they got plenty of real estate inside these walls that were 40 miles around the city if they need to grow some more food. They've got fresh water, the Euphrates River running underneath those walls going through the center of the city. You see, this ancient city of Babylon was fortified, and he is feeling completely invincible, even though death is knocking at the doors, and to prove it, he decides he's going to throw himself a party for a thousand of his lords, for a thousand of his men in his cabinet, in his administration, and all their wives and their concubines, an enormous party house, a palace inside these walls, and thousands of people are now drinking and hooting and hollering, and they are kicking it. Now understand what happens next. Listen carefully. In a defiant act against God, Belshazzar gets the sacred cup stolen by Nebuchadnezzar to use for booze. Now, here's something else I want you to see. In this text, it tells us that Nebuchadnezzar the king was his father. And unbelieving theologians, scholars once again, would poke fun at the book of Daniel because everybody knows Nebuchadnezzar was not Belshazzar's father. He was his grandfather. Church, listen carefully. The ancients had no word for grandfather. They had no word for great-grandfather. In other words, Daniel uses the word father because any ancestor that was a male in your family line was considered your father. And so, once again, we don't have a contradiction at all within the text. I mean, that is so easy. Anybody with a cursory glance could figure out what's going on here. 
And so you have Nebuchadnezzar, who 66 years earlier, Belshazzar's granddaddy, when he carried away Daniel and the other children of royalty in captivity back to Babylon, he also stole not just their children, but he also stole the sacred cups and golden goblets that once was in the house of God, the Jewish temple. And he took them back to the house of his God, kind of as a trophy on display. And it's at this party that now Belshazzar's says, hey, you guys remember my granddaddy Nebuchadnezzar, how he stole those sacred cups from the temple in Jerusalem? Let's get those golden cups and let's use those to use for our booze. I mean, if you've ever been around the party scene, I'm ashamed to say there was a time in my life I was around the party scene, all right? This is what's going on. No matter how awesome the party, you may have a blast, but it won't last. If you go to one party after another, no matter how awesome you think it is, eventually they all start looking kind of the same. Like, same thing, different day. And so Belshazzar decides, we're going to liven things up. Hey, guys, this is going to be fun. This is going to be awesome. Let's go get those sacred cups that the Jews used to use for worship, and let's drink our booze out of them. I want you to notice something. What he's doing is defying God. He's getting in God's face. This was a defiant act. He is using what was sacred now for something that is sinful. He was using something God had designed for worship, and now he's using what was designed for worship for something wicked. Listen carefully. Belshazzar was in God's face, and when you get in God's face, you're about to lose God's grace. Let me say it again. When you get in God's face, you're about to lose God's grace. And quite frankly, what's about to happen, because he's in the face of God, he's about to lose all hope for the grace of God, the hand of God is about to come down and write on the palace wall of where they are partying. Listen very carefully. When you get in the face of God, you lose the grace of God. See, we live at a time where we want to have the grace of God and talk about the grace of God, but we don't want the truth of God. John 1:17. Jesus was a man full of grace and truth, and unless you are walking in God's truth. You are not walking in God's grace. You're walking in God's judgment and condemnation. No, I know, no, no, this is not popular preaching. I, I understand that what I'm up against today. Listen, we, we live at a time where even those who profess Christ, you know what Paul saw all the time? In 2 Timothy 4, he said the time will come that men will not endure sound teaching, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Tickle my ears. We live at such a time as this. But so you cannot understand your need for God's grace if you don't understand that also God is a God of truth. The truth is not our enemy. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We live at a time of deception and distortion. And Jesus said, it's the truth that sets us free. And here is a man that is now in God's face, and he's about to lose all hope of God's grace. The hand of God is coming down, and the royal blast is about to become a royal bust. Daniel 5 and verse 5. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and rode opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. 
And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now, we don't have to guess what hand is doing the writing. Writing on this ballroom wall, this mysterious writing that Daniel is going to have to interpret. It is the very same hand and the very same finger that centuries earlier had wrote the Ten Commandments on stone tablets on Mount Sinai. It is the very same hand and the very same finger centuries after that would stoop down. I'm talking about the hand of Jesus, and he would write with that finger in dust as they brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery. We're talking about the hand of God, only this is not the hand of grace. This is the hand of judgment. God is writing judgment on the ballroom wall. And it says, the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, then the king's countenance changed. You bet it did. Woo, you ever seen about 3,000 drunks get stone cold sober all at once? I'm speaking from experience here. I'm sorry, there's a time in my life. I was the prodigal child. I was far, far from God. I was having a party on God. I knew the truth like Belshazzar, but I wasn't living for the truth like Belshazzar. I was in the face of God, and I know the scene well because I went to one party after another. Belshazzar, party hardy, have a blast while it lasts. That was kind of my motto. I mean, there was a time I lived for fun, and I lived for football, and that was pretty much all I cared about. As I was like Belshazzar, a little king trying to reign over my little kingdom of rust that would one day turn to dust. It would decay and fade away. That's how most people live. Belshazzar is a picture of many Americans and many even of us who live as if this life is all that is, as if this life is all that matters. And before God came and crashed my party, I remember going to a lot of parties. The cops would come and crash it. Just sit there staring straight forward. Don't even flinch like you were never even there. Yeah, you don't know what I'm talking about, all right? But I'll tell you right now, a thousand people stone cold sober that have been drunk just a few minutes before. Now all of a sudden, everybody's getting serious. Everybody's really sober. Hey, cops are coming. Oh, you better believe all of a sudden the party is over. God has come and crashed this party. There was hooting, there was hollering, the, the booze was bubbling, there were naked women dancing, there was hooting, there was hollering and laughing. All of a sudden, you could have heard a pen drop. Let's be honest, if you see a hand materialize out of nowhere and write on your bedroom wall tonight, it's going to get your attention too, yes? It's going to freak you out a little bit. It would freak me out, all right? I'm just be honest. All of a sudden, listen, Belshazzar is freaked out. He is terrified. His countenance changes, you bet. And his thoughts troubled him, oh yes, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. He is so terrified, he, his knees are literally buckling underneath him. I mean, he was absolutely mortified as his hand writing on this wall that materializes out of nowhere. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, why the third ruler? He couldn't offer the second chair. He couldn't offer the first chair. You had Nabonidus, his father, and then you had Belshazzar, his co-regents. He's saying, hey, anybody that can read this mysterious writing and tell me what it says, I will make you the third ruler. This is how bad he wanted to know what this writing meant. 
Now look at what it says. It says, now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. You know why? Because ungodly men cannot read godly things. Unspiritual men cannot discern the things of the spirit. Meant nothing to them. They could not interpret it. Nobody could read it. Understand, Belshazzar pictures the one who lives as if this life is all that is, as if this life will last forever, as if this life is all that matters. I know you don't like thinking about this either. I really don't like to either. But did you know that one day, somebody has to say it, one day you're going to die. One day I'm going to die. For all the funerals I've been to so far, none of them have been mine. But one day I will go to a funeral and it will be for me. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. And you know what Jesus taught? Jesus taught you're a fool. It's a fool that does not consider their eternal destiny. It, it is a fool that does not consider their eternal soul. Someday, I can't wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a whole series of messages on the hard sayings of Jesus. Oh, yeah, we like the Jesus, that gentle Jesus that carries around that little lamb on his shoulder. Oh, isn't he sweet? Now, I'm going to preach a message. I'm going to preach a series sometimes on the hard things Jesus said. Matthew chapter 7, many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but they that do the will of my Father in heaven. And they will say to me, Lord, didn't we not cast out demons in your name and prophesy in your name and do mighty works in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Do you understand what Jesus was teaching? Jesus was teaching these were religious people that named the name of Jesus, that sat in church over and over again, he said, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, but they that do the will of my Father in heaven. Let me ask you something. Is your life more reflective of the culture around you or Christ in you? Here's another hard saying of Jesus. Look at what he says in Luke 12 and verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you then whose will those things be which you have provided? See, Jesus was teaching, if we live as if this life is all that matters, as if this life is the one that's gonna last forever, and we accumulate all this stuff in the temporal, we will be bankrupt in the eternal. It's a fool that does not consider their own destiny eternally. It's a fool that does not consider their eternal soul. I want you to see that today is the day to consider your eternal destiny. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Examine yourself whether you be disqualified. Examine yourself. Do you know for sure? Do you have what the Bible calls salvation? Have you received redemption? Have you received the forgiveness of sin, what Jesus called being born again? Are you certain today of your ultimate destination? Do you know for sure that it's going to be heaven? Jesus said in Mark eight thirty six. for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you exchanging eternity in this place of time that is temporary? 
What if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What will it matter? Do you understand that the 70, 80, 90 years we have on this planet is but a speck of dust on the carpet compared to eternity? You might live to be 100 years of age. you understand that if you can live to be 100 years of age, it is nothing more than a blip on the radar of eternity? What is your life? What is this thing in time? James 4 and verse 4, life is but a vapor here for a little while, then vanishing away. And Jesus is trying to get you to see that nothing else matters except eternity. Eternity, this other dimension, when you close your eyes in time, is the one that will last forever. It is the one that will really, really matter. Now, I don't have time to go through the whole text of Daniel 5. This is why we're doing these extra editions. I'm shooting most of Daniel in a studio. And Daniel chapter 5 is going to be released tomorrow. If you want to hear the whole chapter explained, you can go to our sermon page, Book of Daniel, and I go through Every verse in Daniel chapter 5. don't have time today. I'm just giving you the highlight reel on Sunday mornings of the book of Daniel. But what happens is this. The queen mother comes in. If you look at the whole text, the queen mother comes in. Probably Belshazzar's mother comes in. Now, if you have kids in the house, little kids especially, you know that you don't need to really get worried as long as you can hear them making noise. But when they get silent, you need to go investigate. So this is what happens. She's not at the party, but she can hear the party. I mean, she can hear them kicking it, and they are drinking, and they are laughing, and they are singing, and, and all of a sudden things go silent. She comes in to investigate and realizes this writing is on the wall. No one can read it. The ungodly men cannot read godly words. And all of a sudden she says, hey, honey, listen, Belshazzar, you've forgotten about Daniel. See, 23 years earlier, Daniel had been put out to pasture. He was kind of now in semi-retirement. He was in the king's inner cabinet in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, but when Nebuchadnezzar died, he was kind of a forgotten wise man. And this time now, he's in his 80s. He's lived most of his life in Babylon as a captive. 66 years he has been there. Having gone there as a teenager, he's now an elderly man in his 80s, semi-retirement. And she says to Belshazzar, in the days of your father, your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, there was a man filled with the spirit of the holy God. And this man is still alive. We need to go get Daniel. Daniel comes in now without fear, without favor. And look at what happens in verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah whom my father the king brought from Judah? And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me the interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. I love his response. <laughs> king, you got nothing I need and nothing I want. Keep it. Tell you what, that's freedom. When this world has nothing you need and nothing you want, that's freedom. See, Daniel lived his entire life as a captive, yet he was always completely free. He lived freely even while in captivity. There was nothing he needed, nothing he wanted. He had all he already needed in his God. He says, but, he says, but, I will read the writing 
to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Daniel 5.18, King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. You know what he's doing here? He's saying, look, Belshazzar, I'm going to tell you the interpretation, but before I do, I've got a little preaching. And he begins to rehearse all that God did in Nebuchadnezzar's life, his grandfather's life. Because you see, Belshazzar, as a little boy, was watching all things that God was doing in Nebuchadnezzar's life. As a teenager, he was watching everything that God was doing in his granddaddy Nebuchadnezzar's life. And Daniel begins to rehearse all of that. Hey, Belshazzar, you know that your grandpa Nebuchadnezzar, God struck him with insanity because he was strutting his stuff out of pride. God struck him with insanity, made him live like a beast for seven years, but then you saw God restore him and God bring him back to his throne, and you heard as a teenager, your grandpa Nebuchadnezzar confess my God, the God of heaven, as the most high God, and he forsook the gods of Babylon, and he forsook the false gods and the pagan gods, and became a follower of the most high God. This was not done in secrecy, Belshazzar. You knew all of this, and you saw all of this. Look at what he says in verse 22. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. I want you to see the reasons God crashed this man's party. Number one was this. He chose not to remember God. He chose not to remember God. He knew the true God. He'd been introduced to the true God, but he chose not to remember God. You see, that is a picture of so many people. Romans chapter 1, that's a picture, I'm convinced, of our nation, our civilization. Romans chapter 1, Belshazzar is a picture of the man living in Romans 1, 18 through 25. Romans 1, 18, it says this, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. See, Belshazzar had the truth. He was suppressing the truth. And even now, some of us here have been given the truth but we are suppressing the truth. The wrath of God, it says, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness for what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them, but while they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." And turn the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And exchange the truth of God for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Do you see what happens in Romans 1? Man gets a promotion. God gets a demotion. I'm talking self-deification. And this was Belshazzar's self-deification. He thought that he was the high king. No, he's not the high king. There's only one high king, and his name is Jesus. He thought his kingdom would last forever, but there's only one kingdom that will last forever, the only one that will really, really matter. But there's a second reason he chose not to revere God. See, when you don't remember God, you don't revere God. And Proverbs 15, 25 says, God will destroy the house of the proud. Do you hear what it said? God will destroy the house of the proud. Do you understand what unbelief is made of? If you fail to put your trust and belief in the resurrected Son of God to save your soul and forgive your sin, it's not because you can't believe, it's that you won't believe. 
and its pride, God will destroy the house of the proud. First Peter 5 and verse 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, Belshazzar was too proud to submit himself to the Most High God because he wanted to be the Most High. Do you understand what's at stake? As those of us that know the truth but willingly reject the truth, you've heard the truth but won't receive the truth, Belshazzar pictures the one who deliberately rejects God's grace and God's mercy. And you see, when you reject the grace of God, all that's left is the judgment of God. When you reject the mercy of God, all that's left is the wrath of God. See, he had a chance for God's grace and God's mercy like his granddaddy Nebuchadnezzar, but he rejected the truth. He suppressed the truth with his eyes wide open. And this is what Jesus referred to and what Jesus called as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in Matthew 12, 31. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes people will say, Pastor Phil, I think I've damned my soul to hell. I think I'm, I'm doomed. I'll say, why? Well, I blaspheme the Spirit. What do you mean you blaspheme the Spirit? Most of the time what I hear is, well, you know, I got frustrated in an angry moment and, and I took the Lord's name in vain and I blasphemed God. Listen, that is not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or we would all be dead. Come on, you've let one slip. I know you have. I have. That's not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. GD. Yeah, taking the Lord's name in vain, that's serious, but that's not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. No, when Jesus said these words, he said them to the Pharisees, who with their eyes wide open refused to believe. You see, it's the Spirit of God that draws you to the Son of God. You don't come to faith in the Son of God anytime you want to, whenever you want to, however you want to. If you come to faith in Jesus and receive salvation, you do it only when the Spirit of God beckons you. Jesus said, no one comes to me except my Father in heaven draw them. And it's the Spirit of God that draws people to the Son of God. And do you understand the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you have repeatedly rejected the wooing and the warning of the Spirit of God, and what happens is because you resist the Spirit of God, you never receive the Son of God, and you die in your sin, and it cannot be pardoned then, it cannot be forgiven. And some of us here, I'm convinced, undoubtedly, statistically, the number of people listening online over at Independence, Blue Springs, right here in Lee Summit today, there are some that are desperately close to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit when you cross the line. There is no going back. Romans chapter one, three times it says, God gave them over, God gave them up, God gave them up, there is a point where you have resisted the Spirit of God so many times, the Spirit of God withdraws. You blaspheme the Spirit of God. You cross the line. And the handwriting is on the wall. If today is the day that God gives you an opportunity to come to faith in Jesus, 
Today is the day. Do not delay because God has not promised you another day. God has not promised anyone another opportunity. Today is the day. If there's anything in you that doubts even a shred of doubt, even a shadow of doubt, your destiny eternally, today is the day to leave here with certainty and security. I'm going to lead you in a prayer about 20 minutes from now, a prayer of faith. And you can be forgiven of your sin. You can make certain of your destination. But if you do not today, you're not guaranteed another day. And I'm preaching with urgency today because of eternity. I'm preaching with urgency. I know people, Phil, you're so intense. Man, just calm down. Listen, if I'm driving by your house and your house is on fire and I know that you're asleep inside your house, do you want me to come in your house while your house is on fire and sing you a lullaby? Go to sleep. Yeah, that's the average church in America. Rocking people to sleep so dead people can stay dead. I'm trying to wake you up. Ephesians 5.14, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Redeem the time, for the days are evil. Wake up. Today is the day. Choose life. Choose Jesus. What more will God have to do? What will it take? If you're my age, you might know who this is. If you're not, you probably don't. Sam Kennison, another old person. <laughs> not the only one. Late 80s, early 90s, Sam Kennison was the biggest thing in comedy. I mean, he had hit the big time. I'll never forget because I saw in my godless days when I was the prodigal partying on God in the face of God, I saw a routine by Sam Kennison. He's the son of a Pentecostal preacher raised in the church, knew the gospel, knew the truth. From the age of 17 to the age of 25, he was in seminary. He was preaching in the gospel ministry. At 25 years of age, he said he met a comedian that changed his life. 60 seconds that changed his life. You bet it did. 25 years of age, he divorces his wife, and when he left his wife, he left the faith. He abandoned the faith. He went into comedy, making about $10,000, $20,000 a night. And his big stick, having been a Christian and the son of a preacher, was to make fun of Jesus, to make fun of Christianity. And in my godless days, even though I was far from God, I watched a routine that after watching it, it was so blasphemous, it made me sick. I felt queasy in my stomach. People hooting and hollering, laughing, the routine went something like this. So Jesus didn't really die. He didn't really get crucified. He didn't really rise from the dead at all. No, he went out on a three-day drunk, hitting the town, the nightclubs, and the honky-tonk, running around with a prostitute named Mary Magdalene. And when he got home after a three-day drunk, he had to tell Mary, his mother, something because she wanted to know where he'd been. And he makes up the story about getting crucified and rising from the dead. And when he does, Mary looks at him and says, you ain't been crucified. That can't be true. You've been running around with Mary again, haven't you?
Jesus, don't make me a grandma yet. Making fun of the blood of Jesus, trampling the blood of Jesus, it was so blasphemous. Even though I was so far from God, it was so sickening. I knew this man is crossing the line and I'm getting too close to that line. (laughs) I'll never forget April 1992, just two or three years after I heard that routine, I, I, I remember hearing the news on a California highway near Needles, California. He was on the way to Las Vegas, sold out auditorium. Drunk 17-year-old teenager crossed the center yellow line, meets him head on. He stumbles out of his car. Initially, it looked like he was okay, he was fine, but his insides were completely destroyed. He was bleeding out from within, did not know it. He laid down in the center of that highway. We know what happened because his best friend in opening act, Carl LeBove, was there following in a second car. Carl LeBove, his testimony was this. He went to that highway as his best friend was looking up into the heavens, holding his head in his hands. He hears Sam Kinison as he's looking up in the heavens say, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And then his next words were this, and his last words were this, but why, but why, but why, but why? And then he died. Friends, I know why. God crashed his party. And I don't mean this in a cavalier sense whatsoever. Brings me no joy to say this whatsoever. But today, Sam Kinison ain't cracking no jokes. He's not cracking any jokes. No, today, the blood of Jesus is something very serious to Sam Kinison. No, today the cross is not a joking matter. Eternity is not a joking matter. His soul is not a joking matter. God crashed his party. That's why. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And he that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. And he that sows to the spirit will reap life everlasting. You reap what you sow. There's a payday someday. It may take 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. God may give you your entire life, but there is a payday someday. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 is true of all men and all women. Who will pay the debt of your sin? It will either be you forever and ever or it will be Jesus, you choose. But to choose not to choose is to choose to lose. Verse 24, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. Daniel's now interpreting the writing on the wall, and this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Uparsin. This is the interpretation of each word, Mene. God has numbered your kingdom. He's looking now at Belshazzar. Belshazzar, your days are numbered. It is over. It is finished. You are done. God has numbered our days. All of our days are numbered. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. To Kel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. The day is coming that God will weigh your life in the scales. 
And if you've sinned even one time in your life, that one sin, if you were such an amazing, awesome person that you could sin just one time, that one sin would tip the scales. Because one sin would be too much for heaven. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, exactly as Isaiah prophesied 150 years earlier. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. One can only imagine what Daniel's thinking now. Thanks third ruler for the next 10 minutes. Because at this very moment, unbeknownst to Belshazzar, the media Persian army was slipping underneath those walls in the dried up riverbed of the Euphrates. Ancient historian Herodotus said they found the watchmen drunk inside those walls. All the leaders drunk inside those walls, and the city taken almost without a fight. The city that literally died in the sleep. And friends, some of us here are dying in our sleep. I would do anything today to wake you up. What will it take? You've heard this over and over again. This isn't new to you. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the good news, and you are partying in the face of God. Today, if you will repent of your sin and turn to Him, God will redefine your destination. Everything can change. But if you leave this place today, if you shut off the TV, computer, walk away, God doesn't owe you another opportunity. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. One can only imagine his last thought. What was he thinking? That Persian soldier burst through that ballroom, sword in hand, and thrust it through his body. Did he think to himself, why? Why did I forget God? Why did I not listen to Nebuchadnezzar, my grandpa? Why, when I saw what God did in my granddaddy's life, why did I not repent? Why, why? But it was too late. I don't know what he was thinking. I'll tell you what I was thinking. At 21 years of age, when I had partied on God, running from God, running fast and loose, oh, I knew the truth. I just didn't live for the truth. Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, really. You think all this got here randomly, accidentally, coincidentally, there's nothing logical, plausible. That is the most unscientific, proud, pretentious thing one could say. The very fact that there's a creation demands there must have been a creator. 
The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, but I can't tell you, can I tell you the bigger fool? The bigger fool, the bigger fool was me as a young adult, playing the fool. One who knows there is a God, just living like there's not one. 1989, get run off the road by an 18-wheeler semi, life flashing before my eyes. Time seemed to slow down. Another 18-wheeler coming at me. I don't know what Belshazzar was thinking. I'll tell you what I thought. My last thought right before I should have died, I don't know where I'm going, but I guess I'm going to know now. In God's grace, in God's mercy, it wasn't my last thought. But that was the day that I redefined my destiny by putting my faith in what Jesus did at Calvary. That day I died, but a new man rose alive. And today can be the day of your awakening. Today can be the day of your rising, but if you die without Christ, the handwriting is on the wall. You will be weighed and found wanting. You will stand before your God. And the books are going to be open. You'll be judged for your sin. And you'll be sent to the lake of fire forever. Yeah, I know hell is another unpopular doctrine today, but you understand Jesus talked four times more about hell than he did about heaven. Yeah, I know theologians and pastors alike are abandoning this icky, icky reality. I'm sticking with Jesus. He didn't speak of a symbol. He spoke of a reality. It's life or death eternally. Like Belshazzar, your life will be judged by God. Weighed and found wanting. Would you receive Jesus today? That's my appeal. I'm going to ask you to bow with me for a moment. Just a moment. Sam Kennis had said it was 60 seconds that would change his life when he met that comedian. The next 60 seconds could change your eternity if you'll meet Jesus. Because there is a hand of grace and there is the hand of judgment. And if today you'll reach your hand to the heaven, God will reach his hand of grace down and meet you halfway. At Independence and Blue Springs, those watching online right here in this Lee Summit Auditorium, if there's any part in you that doubts at all your destiny eternally, we just begin by raising your hand in honesty. There's nobody looking but me and Jesus. You just raise up your hand right now. Pastor Phil, honestly, I'm not sure what would happen if I died. I don't know where I would be. Just raise your hand up high over at the other campuses online. I can't see you, but God can. He's the only one that matters. Just hold your hand up high for a moment. I'm going to pray a simple prayer right now, a prayer of faith. God will hear your prayer. You sit right there. Say it in your seat. God will meet you right there. He'll forgive your sin. 
what Jesus called being born again and give you a new destination. Just pray this with me right now. Jesus, say, Jesus, I know that I have sinned, that I cannot get to heaven apart from you. And I do not want to blaspheme your Holy Spirit. I know the Spirit of God today is leading me to you. And Jesus, I thank you that you've shown me mercy. Come into my life and save me. Forgive my sin. And change me from within. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.